0: Father, here we are, we're asking that you would speak to us, that you would minister to our hearts, and that you would instill in us a love for Jesus like we've never experienced before. Lord, we claim Romans 5.5, 5, that hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Lord, pour out your Spirit in our hearts and give us a radical love for Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, open it up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to go to verse 36. So Luke, in his gospel, when he arranges things, all of them do this to a certain extent, but it's not necessarily chronological order, but he puts a lot of things together in a way that tells and paints a picture. It's different snippets from Jesus' life. So this story actually took place within a week before the cross. But verse 36 says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wipe them with a hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. This is a story that's told in, I believe, all of the Gospels and another place, we get a a little picture of the value of what she brought to him. So she brings this alabaster box, and it's worth 300 denarii, which is 300 days wages. Just picture that for a minute. I don't know how much you make in a year, but let's say the average in the United States is somewhere around $30,000 a year. A lot of people make more than that, and some people make a lot less than that, so but let's say $30,000, it's close to a year's wage, so let's say $25,000 that she has there, maybe a little more than that. That's a lot of money, right? So what a person would do is they would invest their money, rather than going to the bank and putting it in the bank, they would invest it in something like this, something precious, something of real value, and this alabaster box, this this perfume it was likely from the Himalayan mountains. It was something that she had poured, poured probably her life savings into. It had incredible value. So isn't this an amazing story? You think about it. Here's Jesus, and he's there with his disciples, and they're, they're there eating, when all of a sudden, in walks Mary. And as Mary comes in, all that she can think about, she's not worried about what anybody's thinking. She's not worried about what's going on in there. But all she can think about is Jesus. And as she comes, I've never held something that valuable in my hands. Maybe I have. But imagine holding something that took you an entire year's wage to get it. And as you come up to Jesus, you just love and adore Jesus so much that you just pour it out on Him just to delight Jesus, just so that Jesus can take in that beautiful fragrance, so that he can take a deep breath and just smell that fragrance. And and for the next few days, he's going to continue to smell that fragrance. In fact, when he was on the cross, in all likelihood, in this time period, the amount of showering that took place, Jesus, in all likelihood, as he was on the cross, when he took in those breaths, he was still smelling the fragrance of that perfume. He was there on the cross, recognizing this incredible love that Mary had for Him. I want to have that kind of love for Jesus. I want to have that kind of love for God. Jesus basically summed up the law, didn't he, in saying that we should love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. That love for God is priceless. I want to have that kind of love for Jesus. So looking at the story of Mary, what was it that led her to such radical love for Jesus? Because I want to have that same kind of love. So there's little snippets in her story that lead us to pictures as to why she had this kind of love. So we continue reading in verse 40. It says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, One owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, because of the actions in her life, these things that she's doing, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, she was known as a sinner in the city. She was known as that woman, that, that woman that shouldn't be touching a man. Therefore her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is given, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So what is the first key that we see in the life of Mary that leads her to love extravagantly? What do you see here? What was it that led her to love? What does Jesus pinpoint as saying? She loved much because she was forgiven much. She just opened herself up to Jesus. She acknowledged her sins and she allowed Jesus to forgive her, to radically forgive her. And the backstory, story, Simon, is that Simon had actually led her into sin, and Simon really was the one who should have recognized his sin, but he was so proud and so blind to his own sin that he didn't recognize his need of forgiveness like Mary did. And so because of that, he didn't love much. So. In my life, Jesus exactly pinpoints that this woman was willing to do a lot of stuff for him because of her love. In my life, when I'm finding it hard to, let's say, go to church or to tell others about Jesus or to give Bible studies or to pray, could it be that it's because there's a lack of love in my heart for Jesus? And step one for Mary was to experience a deeper forgiveness. When you are forgiven much, you love much. So on a daily basis for me, it's important that I take that time just allowing God to search my heart, to reveal any of the little things in my heart that might be harmful. Because if He's my loving Savior, then He's only gonna point out things that are harmful to me. I go to the dermatologist quite often probably every six months, because I'm so white. And when I go to the dermatologist, they usually cut something off of me. So why do I keep going back to the dermatologist when they keep cutting things off of me? Thankfully, it never turns out to be cancer so far. But they keep cutting stuff off of me when I go to them, and yet I keep going back. Why go back to a person that's cutting me? Because I know that they have my good in mind. They're only cutting out stuff that could potentially kill me. I knew another man uh, who went to an oral surgeon, actually, and had this um, sore in his mouth. And the oral surgeon said, I need to take care of that for you. And he said, no, you're not touching me. And the oral surgeon said, if he had just let me, I would have cut all of that out completely because I knew what it was, but he wouldn't let me. That man, it wasn't months later that he died from that sore, that he refused to let the oral surgeon cut out. In my life, when I come to Jesus and and Jesus points out the stuff in my life, when I realize that He is my loving Savior and that He only has my good in mind, when I see His compassionate nature, then I'm ready to surrender absolutely everything to Him. Because I don't want anything that He doesn't want me to have. Because He only wants what's good for me. Just like my wife. If she asks me something, I'm probably going to do it because I know how much she loves me. And I know that she's a wise woman. And I know that I can trust what she's going to ask me to do. That relationship has been built. Mary trusted Jesus. She loved Jesus. We're going to find a little more of a picture there. We see here that she was forgiven much. Let's jump over to Luke chapter 10. Now remember that when she... Uh, or, or the, just because it happens in Luke chapter um, 7 there doesn't mean that chronologically this one happens later. This one actually happened earlier on. Verse 38 says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word." But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. This picture of Jesus coming to that house that he loved to go to in Bethany. And really, what could be more important than fixing lunch or dinner for the Son of God on earth? Doesn't that seem like a pretty important task to get done? Doesn't it seem like Martha... She had super good intentions. And here's Mary, seemingly distracted by just sitting at the feet of Jesus. But it says in verse 40 that Martha was the one distracted. And what was she distracted by? It says she was distracted by much serving. Is it possible to get distracted from Jesus by good things in our life? It's very easy. Especially if you're doing ministry, and it can be very easy to get distracted by doing so many things for Jesus that you forget what it's all about. You forget that first love that he wants you to have. So verse 41, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. One thing is needed. And what was the one thing that Mary chose? What did she choose to do? To listen to Jesus, spend time with Jesus, to sit at His feet and listen to His Word. And Jesus said, that's the one thing. If she gets that, then I have access to her heart. And from her heart will flow all the other things that need to happen. But we've, we've got to start there. We've got to start with sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary had a heart of love for Jesus. Because she spent time at the feet of Jesus. This is a huge part of experiencing that forgiveness. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we trust Him, the more we let Him point out stuff in our lives that's harmful, and the more we can confess that and experience the forgiveness that He wants to give us. Now let's jump over to John. In John, we find another another picture. Of this same occurrence, John chapter 12 and verse 1. So we find one other place where it's also mentioned that she had demons cast out of her, where Jesus is proving himself to be like Michael, the one that wrestles with the devil for her. She had been forgiven much, she'd had demons cast out of her, so many things in her life. But this points to another important part. It's telling the same exact story about. Mary coming and anointing Jesus' feet, but it highlights something entirely different at the beginning of it. It says, Then six days before the Passover, so this is how we know that it took place in that week prior to the crucifixion. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, or where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So here you have this the same picture. What details are added by John? What different perspective does John add in about this, this uh a feast at Simon's house. Notice anything different from the last one that we read? Lazarus was there. And it highlights it, right? It says, Lazarus was there, who who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, in verse 1. So it emphasizes twice that Lazarus was dead, and he was there, and he was raised from the dead. And then, verse 2 says, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Who was Lazarus in relationship to Mary? The brother. So at the table, this this gives us another picture. As she comes with this priceless possession in her hands, this. This maybe her life savings, and she's coming to pour it out on Jesus, part of what inspires that love to come bubbling out of her is that Lazarus is sitting next to Jesus. Her brother had been raised from the dead by Jesus, and she knew, I'll give anything to Jesus. He can raise the dead. He'll do anything that I need. I love Jesus because of the good things He's done in my life. That isn't the only reason that we love Jesus, but the more that we focus on the good things that God has done for us, The more that we recall those to memory, the more it stirs up love and faith and hope in our hearts about who Jesus is and what he can accomplish in our lives. Something practical that I've done, there was one year where I decided, okay, every day I'm going to write down ten different things that I'm thankful for that happened recently. So I would just wake up in the morning and I would... Say, okay, i got to do this. And at first I'd think, well, I don't even have anything to be thankful for. You watch. If you keep a prayer journal and you write down the things that God's been doing in your life and you make it a habit to every day, okay, I'm going to meditate on these things. You don't necessarily have to write it down, but it can be really helpful because then you have a record to go back to. But one way or another, taking that time each day to think about God's goodness in your life, to thank Him for the things that He's done for you. As you thank Him for those things... It instills faith in you, in who He is, and it enables Him to pour out more blessings in your life because of the increased faith in your life. There's, there's power in thanking God for, for who He is and what He's done in our life. It's funny because it goes on in verse 4. says, But one of His disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray Him, said... Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So here you have Judas, the one who would later betray Jesus, and that's emphasized here. How much did he betray Jesus for? 30 pieces of silver? And here Mary is pouring out 300 days wages worth of perfume on Jesus, and he was willing to sell Jesus for a pittance in comparison. That's basically what a slave was sold for. It's no wonder that Judas denied Jesus, because he didn't really value Jesus. He didn't recognize in Jesus a, a priceless treasure above anything else, and so it didn't really matter to him what happened to Jesus. Now let's go a little later In the book of John, Jesus goes to the cross. And it's fascinating to see how many chapters are devoted to that. At the cross, Mary is one of those who's at the cross. In John 19, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. That's a big deal. That there are women standing by the cross. Because this cross is this gruesome scene of torture with a naked individual hanged there, gruesomely tortured. It's no place for a woman in that culture to be. And yet these women just wanted to be there where Jesus was. Mary loved Jesus. She wanted to be where Jesus was and would do whatever it took to be where Jesus is. We also see there, verse 26, it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Just a side note, this is a phenomenal thing if you think about it. Jesus is entrusting his mother to John. Do you know what John was called by Jesus? one of the sons of Boanerges, one of the sons of thunder, because he had this temper issue. He would, when he saw the Samaritans rejecting Jesus, he said, well, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven on those Samaritans? Jesus said, That's, I didn't come to take life, but to give life. He's the one who, when somebody was casting out demons, he said, Jesus, do you want me to forbid him? Do you want me to stop him? John was not naturally a kind person, but as he pressed close to Jesus, he was transformed by looking at Jesus and pressing close to Jesus and seeing who Jesus was. So in chapter 20, after Jesus has died on the cross, he's been buried in the tomb, chapter 20, we pick up the story and we see both of these characters here. In verse 1 it says, Now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. When did she go? Early. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The first one to get to the tomb is Mary. And when does she get there? She gets there early in the morning, so early that it's still dark outside. You know, so this time of year, that's what... 5 o'clock, the sun begins to, to rise. She's, she's going really early in the morning. She cannot wait to get to even where Jesus' body is. She just loves Jesus. She just wants to be where Jesus is. She can't think of anything else but to be where Jesus is. And Jesus has promised, when we seek Him, we'll find Him, when we search for Him with all our hearts. So we're going to see something fascinating in this story about what Jesus does for Mary because of her seeking after him. Verse 2, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she gets back to the disciples. They haven't, maybe they haven't even finished breakfast yet. You know, they're busy thinking about other things. They haven't yet gone to see Jesus, but Mary is the first one there. She cannot wait to get to where Jesus was. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. John loved Jesus and he, his love maybe motivated him to run even faster than Peter or maybe he was just younger. Uh, he was younger. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then verse 10, notice this. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So what happens? The disciples come to the tomb. They see there's the burial cloth. There's an empty tomb. Jesus isn't there. And they say, well, he's not here. Let's go back home. Logical enough. He's already been crucified. He's, he's died, and, but he's not there. Oh, well, I guess we'll go back home. But you find somebody that's unwilling to settle with being separated from Jesus. Somebody that says, I'm going to be with Jesus no matter what. I have to find Jesus. And so, even though I don't know where his body is now, I'm going to stay in that spot where he last was. And that's Mary, verse 11. But Mary, so in contrast to the disciples who went on their merry way back to their houses, even though John had this special relationship with Jesus. He went on his way. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. There's so much love in Mary's heart for Jesus. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord And I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher, And Notice verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Okay, this this sends shivers through me just to think about what Jesus has just done. Here is Mary at the tomb, weeping. She's unwilling to leave where Jesus is at. She's determined to find Jesus. She won't leave the spot where she last saw Jesus. And Jesus needs to go to His Father to pre- present the first fruits to, to to find approval. We learned in Desire of Ages about how He went into the city and into, into heaven before the throne. And the very first thing He wanted to know is, is my sacrifice, what, is, it, is it approved? Was it what needed to take place. But before going to heaven, and then He came back to see the disciples, before on His way, He had to make a stop. See Mary. Because Mary was seeking with all her heart. That's the same way for us. When Jesus means absolutely everything to us. When when we would pour out our life savings for Him because He means everything. When When we would... Do whatever it takes to be where He's at, to find Him. When we seek Him with all of our heart, we will find Him. He promises that. He will show up for you when you just wholeheartedly throw yourself into finding Jesus. I love this story. It's just so beautiful to see the love that Mary portrays for Jesus and how He reciprocates and how He rewards that love. And I've realized that a lot of times... When I'm reading through the Bible, I forget. What is the purpose of all of Scripture? Jesus himself said that you search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have life, but these are they which testify of me. The purpose of our Bible study, the purpose of our prayer, the purpose of of all that we do in our devotional life, of all that we do in our service, all of it is to find Jesus. To, to get closer to Jesus. All of the doctrines that, that we hold dear, all of the things that we understand about, about the Sabbath, for instance. The Sabbath celebrates Jesus as our creator. It celebrates Jesus as our Savior. If you read Deuteronomy 5, and the, the second time that it repeats the commandments, it says, celebrate the Sabbath, or, or keep the Sabbath, because I ca- rescued you out of Egypt. A representation of His saving power in our lives. And we keep the Sabbath, because Jesus is coming back for us. Hebrews 4 tells us, there remains a rest for the people of God. Jesus is coming back for us. The Sabbath points us to Jesus. All of what we do as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, should point us to Jesus. And anything that's not pointing us to Jesus, we need to question. We need to ask, okay, if it's true and if it's from the Word, then why am I not seeing Jesus in this? And how do I make sure that I find Jesus in this? And if it's something that we're clinging to that isn't based on Scripture and it's not pointing us to Jesus, then we need to let it go from our lives. There's was a time my wife and I had been dating for a while, and we were in my room and she was looking through the bookcase shelves. I told the story earlier when she was talking about the things in my closet, but. This time she was looking through the things on my bookcase shelf, and I had some DVDs there. And as she was looking through the DVDs, she said, well, why do you have this one? I said, well, I don't really watch it, but it's, you know, it's loosely related to, to God, and it kind of shows like the great controversy, and I don't just, I don't really want to get rid of it yet. She said, oh, okay, no problem. Later on, as I thought more about it, just those little things in my life that I thought, well, I don't really want to get rid of that, I began to realize that those things were separating me from Jesus and that I wanted to do whatever it took to be connected with Jesus. I think there's a lot of things in our life that we take lightly. We take sin lightly. We'll laugh at sin, be it on YouTube or be it on our phones, be it on our television, be it in the movies. We'll be entertained by stuff that when we really think about it it says that he was pierced for our transgressions; He was crushed for our iniquities. So if we go and we laugh at or listen to or enjoy things that crushed Jesus, it really reveals the hardness of my heart. It really reveals that I don't recognize what that has done to Jesus and that That I really, maybe my heart's not as sensitive to His love as I thought it was. That's the place that I've realized in my life that that there are things I've just got to take them out. Anything that doesn't represent Jesus, I don't want anything to do with it because Jesus means everything. Jesus is more important than anything that this world has to offer. Like Paul said in Ephesians 3, actually go there with me. Ephesians chapter 3, sorry, Philippians chapter 3. And from this, we'll look at a a story about about Paul that really reveals what the love of Jesus can do in our hearts. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost." So the first things he's talking about are are the things that as a Pharisee and persecuting the church and those things. But then he goes on to say, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Because I count it all as rubbish, as nothing, as valueless. It's like trash to me just that I could have Jesus. Jesus means everything to me. For Paul, that was a living reality, and he's writing this to the Philippians. So There's an interesting story about when he went to Philippi. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. Amazing story about what the love of Jesus can do in a heart when it transforms a life. So Paul was radically changed. He went from trying to kill Jesus, not recognizing that he was fighting against God, and Jesus showing up and saying, hey, I'm the one that you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. It's hard for you to go against me like this. And that totally transformed Paul's life. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is going around preaching Jesus now. And he gets to Philippi and in 16 to Uh, Verse 19, there's this girl, this slave girl, who has a demon possession, and she's going around chanting stuff behind Paul and Silas, so much to the place where it it bothers Paul, and he finally commands her to go out, commands the demon to go out of her in the name of Jesus, and and came out at that moment. And then the masters realize, oh, we aren't going to be able to have her tell anybody's future anymore, and we're not going to be able to use her to make money. So they take them, in verse 20, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. This is brutal, right? They're stripped of their clothes, and they begin to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, so they're whipping their backs, which would just leave you know, their backs totally raw, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, so the jailer's been told, hey, you got to make sure these guys are, they need to be kept extra secure in the prison. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So sometimes we'll see pictures of this, that it was both their hands and their feet in the stocks, but it only mentions that their feet are in the stocks, which sometimes they'd put the, the stocks at an elevation, and they'd have your ankles locked inside of these wood bars, which would mean your back, which was just uh, flogged, this, you know your back's raw and bleeding, is laying on the floor, and you can't get off of your back because you're there on your back. And dungeons back then were not like our prison today where it's clean, you know, it's a foul, gruesome place. So they're there in the most miserable conditions that we probably can imagine of. They're being tortured. In verse 25, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. In the middle of the night, They're there in agony when most people would have been cursing, and that's probably what the rest of the prisoners were used to. Suddenly the prisoners hear singing coming. They hear somebody rejoicing. They hear somebody praying, and they're wondering what's going on. Who are these people? So they're all listening to them. And then verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see the impact That the love of God transforming a heart has on a person. For Paul and Silas, it didn't matter what situations they were in. They still continued to praise God. They still continued to have the love of God in their lives. And I believe that in that moment that the Holy Spirit was filling them with the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace. Even though they may have been suffering some physical pain, I think God was giving them all of this in order to be able to rejoice in the midst of it. Other times they would go on their way rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer persecution for Jesus. But here this has an impact to such an extent that all of those in the prison who should have run when the doors are open stay in the prison. That means the entire prison was impacted to such an extent by Paul and Silas and their demeanor, their love for Jesus, that there's something different about them that they all stayed there. And that had such an impact on the jailer when he realized the type of men these were who had been transformed by the love of Jesus that he just fell on his knees and said, What do I have to do to be saved? Then they were able to tell him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household." Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that it was the love of Christ that compelled him in this. He said, Christ died for one so that all of us could live for him. It was love for Jesus that compelled Paul and Silas in prison. It was love for Jesus that compelled Mary to go to that tomb. It's love for Jesus that all of us need. And you see the difference that rejoicing in God makes Um, praising God makes. So we talked about Mary. What were the things in her life that gave her love for Jesus? The first, she experienced deep forgiveness. She allowed Jesus to search her heart deeply, and she allowed Him to give her forgiveness on a deep level. The second thing was she sat at the feet of Jesus. She absorbed His Word. She listened to Jesus, and that instilled more love in her. The third thing was that she saw Lazarus there sitting next to Jesus, And she recognized that Jesus had done so much in her life that she could praise Him for all of His goodness. And she sought Jesus early. We talked earlier about praying the promise of Isaiah 50, verse 4. For those of you that weren't here, you can write that down. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as a disciple. Mary was woken up early with her love for Jesus. She just had to be where Jesus was. And it's so much more pleasant to wake up with Jesus waking you up than to wake up with your alarm clock. <laughs> Honestly, and it, it's true, Jesus will wake you up morning by morning, every single night, I'll pray that prayer, Lord, I claim the promise. Isaiah 50 verse 4, Are you awaken me morning by morning, and without fail, even when there's a 5, 5 a.m. flight that I have to get to, Jesus has been faithful to wake me up early enough to, get, to have that time with him and in order to be able to get to the airport. Um, So those are just some things that I see in the life of Mary that I believe lead to the transformation that we see in her life, we see in the life of Paul, that I think are are crucial for our, our walk with Jesus. Confession of our sins and allowing him to search us deeply, sitting at his feet in his word every single day, do whatever it takes to find Jesus in the Bible going wherever you have to do to find Jesus, and then taking time to praise Him, to thank Him for the good stuff in your life, and even to praise Him for the things that you don't think are so good, just like Paul and Silas in prison. Psalm 34, verse 1 says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. We can praise Him for everything in our life, and he, because He's good, and He turns all things around for our good when we trust them to Him. Any thoughts or questions or things you want to add to that? I think we're about about done for today, but thank you guys. We sat and listened to a lot today, but I hope that some of it will be a blessing and that we can walk away from it changed, you know. It's one thing to to find things interesting, it's one thing to learn new things, but it's a whole other thing to be transformed like Paul was, to be a completely different person so that the people around us see the love in us and that they taste and see that God is good because they come into contact with us. So let's close with a time of prayer just asking that Jesus would do this more and more instill more of His love in our hearts. Father in Heaven, thank You so much for these examples of faith, these examples of loving You. Lord, we ask that You would instill a greater love in our hearts. God, I want to count everything to be rubbish in comparison to knowing you. I want to see that you are a rewarder of those who seek you. I want to have the heart of Mary that would do anything just to be with you. And thank you that you promised that when we seek you, we will find you when we search for you with all of our hearts. And I just pray your blessing on each and every person in this room, Lord, that you would give them a heart to know you. Everyone who who listens to this recording, Father, that you would just melt our hearts with the love of Jesus, that you'd give us a deeper desire to know Jesus for ourselves, that we would not rest content, that we wouldn't allow our first love to die, but that we would allow your love to burn brighter and brighter in our hearts until that soon coming day when you come back to take us home to be with you forever. Thank you, Father, so much. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse